Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here as in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. So... I know I usually hand it to you, Farhan, once we go live, drag the pot. <laughs> but I figured I'd start us out as listeners pool, and we'll slowly ease into this by just noting that now that it's in the books, and we don't quite have a Western, or sorry, a Pacific Division winner yet, so it's not all done, but we'll know shortly. The Canucks portion of this NHL season is done, and I can't imagine any world where anyone says anything about this Canucks season except that this was the absolute worst-case scenario in absolutely every respect. Like, you could not draw up a more cataclysmic Canucks season from Game 81 to Game 82. It was a slog to watch. It was an endless parade of controversy off the ice. And the club had to charge hard at the end simply to get to the point of mediocrity. And in so doing, will not likely pick in the top 10 in, a, in the 2023 NHL entry draft. So for, for all that we've endured over the past seven months, most likely the Canucks are going to pick 11th. Some chance that they move back and pick 12th. I... I what, 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 are we, what are we doing here? What did we learn? Did we learn anything? Did we, did well, we make any general... friends along the way? Like, what no, are... this is what we expected. This is what we expected, right? No, like, this is we... worse than I expected. Come on. We talked I about didn't... this many times. And when, I when they made didn't the coaching... expect it to be hey, 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 this hey. joyless, when, though. When we made the coaching... Well, okay, that's fair. I, like, I can't sit here and get inside your heart, or that lump of coal you call a heart, uh, except, <laughs> when you're, except when you're around Wallace and determine your level of joy or happiness. But from a Canuck fan perspective, yeah, look, this this is the definition of the murky middle. And the fact that they even have a slim shot at the number one overall pick doesn't really do anything for me. What do they got, 3%? Is it three or three and a half? Uh, what it'll, are their, be, it'll be three. Okay, so it's going to be three. So, you know, we, this is where we, were, we thought there, there was a point in time we didn't think they were ever going to get to the bottom, but we thought, okay, if they could get close to fifth from the bottom, and that would put them in pretty good shape, if not to get Connor Bedard, to still get a really good player who could potentially be a contributor next year, given how good the top 10 of this draft is. And now more than likely they wind up picking 11th um, and are the last team to even have a shot at number one. And this is what we saw coming. We knew how difficult that schedule was. Um we knew that Bruce Boudreaux was in an untenable situation based on the goaltending, based on, you know, the way the roster was playing the form, all of it. And then we knew when Rick Tockett came in that the schedule was going to allow for what appeared to be a change of structure. Now, we all agree their process is better. Their details are better. But when they make mistakes, there just aren't enough teams and opportunities out there for them to be exposed. And they got that your demo back. So everything lined up, coaching change bump, schedule, goaltender, all of it. And we knew it was going to force them to elevate the standings a little bit. Here they are, the Vancouver Canucks, 82 games, 83 points, above 500 for those that are keeping score at home, Gary Bettman's version of 500. And uh, because of the result today, they finished out of the St. Louis Blues, which when we did the VanCast yesterday with Harmon and myself, that wasn't the case. So worst case scenario on so many levels. And you're right, because look, we can talk about the, the good vibes associated with Elias Pettersson getting to 100 points and just, you know, his vault 
to stardom, if not superstardom, but to stardom, right? Like good like vibes, guy. Far on, far on. Hey, look, just they, let me they get just small victories. Let me just give you some. No, victories, no, no, no. Right? They just they just played the Ducks evenly, winning by a single goal, and then coughed up a three goal lead to the Arizona Coyotes. What is this winning culture? No, look, I'm just I'm just telling you that there are some there there are going to be some that are viewed as successful, right? Like. You're going to look at Pedersen getting over 100 points, and you're going to say that's a pretty big success. That hasn't happened for a minute for this team. You're going to look at Quinn Hughes and what he did assist-wise on the back end, maybe puts himself into a situation next year where we can actually have a discussion about him being a Norris Trophy candidate. Not a winner, but if this team can, you know, be a reasonable team and play, you know, get close to a playoff spot, which many of us think they could, right? Uh, Kuzmenko, weird situation for me today because they gave him – they gave Pedersen every opportunity to get to 100 in the last game, and they didn't do the same for Kuzmenko here to get to 40 goals. So, um, you know, they could have put him back on the line with Pedersen and tried to make that work. Uh, but, you know, wh- whatever their small victories are, if they think their process is good, look, I think the way they've blown some leads in the last couple of weeks of the season is a bit of an indictment, right? Um, whether they won them or not. But, yeah, look, they, people are going to point to some small victories. Thatcher Demko getting his game back. Right. Like, and you, you know, we, the cynical say, look, who the, they're playing shit. They're not playing good teams. But nonetheless, when Thatcher Demko has been called upon, he's been really, really good for this team during the, these final six weeks of the season. So, you know, going into next year, that's not a question at all. Right. So there are a few things. I'm not talking about process, but individual, uh, individual results, individual successes. And you will see what that means. Right. Like, we will know what that means if Elias Pedersen signs an extension. If he doesn't sign an extension, it was kind of fool's gold, wasn't it? Right? There, so there's a number of... What, what, this run? I'm talking about the run. I'm talking about if, like Pedersen's personal successes, right? And if that and the case that they can make in the offseason about how much closer mm. they believe they're going to be, like whatever the reasons are, the club is optimistic. And I haven't had a lot of people saying he's gone, right? Like there was that narrative. Uh, before the coaching change, and and not that it has anything to do with the coaching change, but there was that narrative when this team was really, really like awful, awful, awful. Before they eventually made a coaching change, there were many that thought, "Look, this guy is as good as gone." And now I don't hear a lot of that out there. So, to me, it, you know, how many good vibes are on Elias Pettersson? Well, we'll see if he signs an extension. That's all yeah. I'm saying. No, so I'm, so that's the main storyline. Like it, it, as we pivot to what comes next, right? Getting Pedersen done this summer would be a huge exhale for this market. And I think it's fair to point out that if we take this team on the basis of their own stated goals, which very clearly is to be good next year, meaningfully good if they can, getting Pedersen locked up is the existential item number one, like headliner for this club's off-season priorities. Like, what comes first? Lock up your 103.39 goal centerman. Get that done. You got to get that done and, and like get it done July 1. We sometimes see those deals that are clearly done a little bit before and noon comes on July 1 and they're announced right away. Right? That's the Tampa Bay Lightning model. Boy, would it be a welcome sign if this organization was able to conduct this business um, this critical piece of business in that sort of fashion. That has to be, you know, everything for this team this summer. And, you know, look, I, I don't have any intel either way beyond I think he really likes it in Vancouver. Um, I'm sure he's frustrated by the losing. I'm a little nervous about what this playoff run, especially on the eastern side of the bracket, might do for players contemplating their future just just because you know what happens if Bo Horvat has some signature moments you know like what happens if Quinn Hughes's brothers go on a deep run right like how much for Vancouver's young core are they going to be watching and paying attention to that uh some guys watch closely some guys don't right some guys stay in touch after their like when they're ex-teammates some guys don't but but that's sort of the lingering thing I wonder about. Um, I think it would certainly be not not cause for alarm, but cause for concern if you know push came to shove and Patterson decided like, what's the rush? 
I've got a year of restricted free agency, right? I've got, you know, uh, another, I've got another year before restricted free agency. Then I've got another year. Um, you know, it's one thing you like, you get offered 88 million or whatever the Canucks are going to offer. And I'd imagine it's a fair bit. 88 is probably the, the, the floor for, for what their offer looks like this summer. You look at that and you think, okay, you know, if, if there's any hesitation there, then I, I do think that becomes something that, you know, we'll certainly be talking about. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, what, are you getting any vibes from there? Right. Like I, I did talk to um, one of the key people involved in all of this um, a couple of weeks ago and they're cautiously optimistic. Like he wasn't bullish, right? He said, uh, we're, yeah, we'll get it done. And he was, he was optimistic and certainly they're going to put their absolute best fo- foot forward. Right. I like, I don't think anybody expects PD to take a hometown discount. And I think they understand what that's going to look like. And I think they're prepared to go there because they really have no choice. No, it's a priority um, for the club. There's no question. Yeah, about but, that. but so if he doesn't sign, it's not going to be because they're not committed, right? Like you can't turn around and say the owner doesn't want to spend the money because he'll spend the money in this one. But if there's a, if, if it doesn't happen, it's because the player doesn't want it to happen. Or, and, or he doesn't want it to happen yet. Which would be a perfectly, sure. like, I don't think. Because they still have another year with them, right? Like, they still have to- two more years of control on the player. 100%. And, and you know, one thing I like, not to sort of tamp it down already. I, I mean, certainly if there's hesitation, it's a story. Gums will flap in this marketplace. Gums flap anyway. But it'll be discussed. It'll be worried about. Canucks fans' anxiety levels will spike. But. Given what Pedersen's experienced over the course of this past season, over the course of his career, if he wanted to wait, I don't think you could blame him, right? Like, I, I don't, I'm not saying that'll happen. I don't expect it to happen, but you know, given, given that we're going through another flat cap off season, given what the market could look like and the cap could look like for a player of his stature in two years, given what this team has experienced, you know, it wouldn't be an outrageous thing to be like, let's chill. I'll take a sec. No, and that's fair because ultimately, even if he signs an extension, it's not going to kick in until after next year anyway. So, you know, could you say, oh, well, what if he has a bad year, right? Like JT wanted 99 points as a platform year. That was a priority, right? Because oh, yeah. for many, it, it felt like a bit of an outlier. But if I'm Elias Pedersen, I am full-on confident that this is who I am today. So there might be an injury, but even if there's an injury and he plays half a season and he's 50 points in 40 games, he's still Elias Pedersen. He's still that guy. So I think at his age and given his leverage and power in the marketplace, you know, whereas when we went through this with JT Miller, like if there was Miller or Horvat or which way were they going to go, the narrative around all of that, the circumstances and context is completely different. For Pedersen, there is such little downside to waiting. For Pedersen? Yeah, I mean, you're you're not wrong. It's a good point. Because he's only going to make more money, right? Like it's one less year, like you said, of less dead cap. You know, a one-off season from now, the cap's going to go up more. The number he signs for, it's not going to change the term. He's young enough for that. It, it won't matter. So it might make a lot of sense for him to just wait and just put the organization in the crosshairs and say, let's see what you got. One more chance. So let's stop the hockey, the what comes next chat. We'll get back into it. We'll also open the floor for anyone who wants to ask a question. We'll do that around 1030. So if you'd like to ask Farhan and I a question or just direct the discussion, feel free to raise your hand. You'll you'll live in the stage queue. And at about 1030, we'll start taking some listener questions, maybe a little bit after it, depending on where our conversation goes. But let's quickly talk about the end of an era and John Shorthouse. And I know John you Garrett. are. What did I say? You said John Shorthouse. Sorry, John Garrett. The Johns. Because, uh, you know, you know, I think about it in the context of Shorthouse, too, right? Because I think about their partnership, the Statler and Waldorf Act, the way that they've been dating back to even before I covered this team, just like this white noise machine, this like comforting white noise machine, a, a welcoming repartee that you sort of bring into your living room on Canucks game nights and, and enjoy watching the game with. Uh, and, and, you know, I think they've been... Like the two guys that Canucks fans most wanted to just sit down with a beer at the end of a workday and enjoy the game 
alongside, like having them be your company through those games. And, you know, over, over the course of the last decade, I think they've really carved out a very special connection with Canucks fans. Tonight was the last day. I, I know you're loath to praise a, a Sportsnet competitor. Not at all. Like, <laughs> I no, know no, you're no, not. Like, so I know you're that, not. Right. You know, I know. Look, I know. I, Obviously. I love them both. I love them both. And Cheech for me, like is comfort food, right? Like he, he is that because he, and he was also there with, um, uh, uh, Jim Houston before that. Right. And so the, the partnership between the two of them is good. I'm not as down and melancholy as many people are because he's not retiring. Like he is still going to do 15 to 20 national games. Right. So we're still going to get to hear him. And, and that yeah, matters and, for me. And right? we'll still like probably that. hear him with Shorthouse sometimes. Yeah. Like I, I, I would imagine that if Sportsnet was smart about it or even a hockey night, they would try to pivot and, and make that the, the Vancouver broadcast, right? Um, it, it would, it would certainly be much more destination viewing because people would actually tune in just to listen to them, regardless of what the hockey team's doing. Wow. That'd be great. Because they miss it. You're right. Right. Like, no, but like I'm saying, people will miss it and, They'll they'll just want that in their life, right? For, no, that's for whatever just, reason, because we that's just how it is, right? Like as opposed to, to you, according though. to Ryan, bar down eighty three, tune in if you want two negative guys screaming at each other about negative stuff that will only depress you. Because that's us today, <laughs> apparently, or all the time when we do these live rooms. Well, it's definitely it's it's definitely me. No compliments to you. That's a really smart bit of media analysis, uh, particularly because Sportsnet is retaining Garrett. Right? He he's gonna. This is the end of him uh, on regional broadcasts, but he will remain with the rights holder. Do you read anything into that? No, I like, I just think he wants to slow down, right? I mean, he's been doing this for a long time. This is a way to slide into retirement to do two to three seasons of this and then eventually fully retire. So, so that's how I see it. And if the Canucks ever get good, um, he'll be there to do playoffs, right? Because he'll, he'd wind up being the hockey night guy for the Canucks playoff games. One would think wow, so, great. you know, I, I, Right, like I, I don't know how that would. I love I it. How that doesn't happen. I love so, it. I'm, I'm not totally down because we still get to hear him. Fair. Well, I thought it was an emotional send off tonight. I thought John Shorthouse and Dan Murphy both did a masterful job fetting their longtime teammate, and obviously it was a joy to really soak up and relish one last opportunity to hear. No, them not relish. Call, it's uh, catch up. It's catch up. Catch up to catch up. Their uh, their last opportunity to broadcast a regional broadcast. Canucks game as an iconic duo in the history of this franchise. Uh, congratulations to John on a, on a great run. And, uh, you know, we'll miss him on the regional games. No question. We love you, Cheech. So let's talk about the game quickly. Canucks come out firing. Connor Garland, first career hat trick. He really did have a stellar second half. Do you think that changes anything in terms of his standing with the club and, and what that means going into this offseason? I'm not sure because he still wound up getting a ton of third-line deployment, right? So I'm just not sure that he's Rick Tockett's cup of tea. And was the overtime winner not the quintessential Connor Garland goal, right? Like just the complete spin cycle at the offensive end. Yes, it's a little easier when it's three-on-three. Three. Probably should have been a penalty because he grabbed the stick before he scored, but a good finish. Good for him to do it where he played previously. And you are right. Like both he and Brock Besser uh, have, have been better. I mean, you know, Besser still had kind of those gaps, but I think overall, especially when you take the context of deployment into it, um, you know, you, you've always talked about Connor Garland's five on five production and it's pretty good. And so I asked this of harm and I'll ask this of you have either one of those players, because while they've been pretty good, I'm still not convinced that, they're not going to try to move one of them, right? Like they, you know, and I think it's obviously going to be Besser as the the primary choice, but the more difficult player to move, given the the cap hit, even though it's for a shorter period of time, have either one of them done enough to rebuild their value to the point where the Canucks don't have to offer as much of a sweetener? I still don't think they're getting off either one of those deals for free, but maybe someone else is going to see a little bit more value. Because if I'm looking at Garland and I see the number of times He's played with Nozoman, like, and you can get him into a legitimate second line role with a second line center. You, you're probably going to see something there. I mean, the thing that I can't escape is at the end of the day, what other Canucks top six forwards 
Are you confident in answering yes to the following question about? Okay. Put on a third line wing. Can you drive a line by yourself? Connor Garland, yes. JT Miller, yes. Elias Patterson, yes. Do you say yes about anyone else? Nope. Not at all. Doesn't that mean something? If you're a guy who can dominate the puck and drive a line, you know, be the driver on a third line. Like, yeah, it doesn't mean that you're an elite top line player necessarily, whatever the rate stats say, but there's value there. There's real value there. You know, like, I I mean, Besser's got good underlyings when he moves down the lineup. I think he can come close, but it's a different thing than it is with Garland just because how, how puck dominant he, he is. Uh, like, some of his best stretches of play this season have come with, you know, Neil Zaman and Dakota Joshua, uh, like limited offensive guys. And yet he's dynamic enough to kind of stir that drink. I, I, I don't know, given even given Vancouver's cap situation, that that's a player you want to move on from willy nilly. Like there's there's real value there. Yeah, look, I don't disagree. I, I, and again, I think if you give him different deployment, he might give you different numbers. And I mean, maybe it's harder because he wants the puck more. And you're right. Maybe he doesn't need a playmaking center. Uh, and, and that doesn't have to be a priority. But when I look at this lineup, we seem to be under this notion that this Canuck hockey team is loaded with wingers. But they're not loaded with top six wingers. Because if you look down the lineup, okay, mm. let's, let's, let's assume McKayev's a top mm. six winger. And some would call him a middle six winger. And then you've got Kuzmenko. And I'm waiting. Anybody? Well, um, I mean, no, I, like Beauvilliers. So who you I, like? Like Beauvillier might get put there, but no, but he's a middle he a six, six guy. No, he's a I middle mean, six guy. Right? Did he get a point uh, like, tonight? Because he was a point out from setting his career high of forty points. Right, like yeah, that well, says it all. And that that says it all right there. Right. So when I look at it, you know, we talk about third line center as the priority, and maybe. Um, you know, they, they've improved the right side of their blue line, but maybe now you're looking at a, at a second pair left shot D so that you can move Oliver Ekman Larson to a third pair because I don't think he's getting bought out. And, you know, I love Akito Hirose. Like, I would put him as my third uh, pair left D tomorrow for the start of next season, but I like that just may not fit given what they're going to have to do with OEL. So when you think about that, because we think they've just got tons of wingers, but they kind of don't, right? Like, they've they just don't have that much high end. Like Phil Giuseppe, you and I both love the guy and think he belongs on this team, but in a bottom six role, not a middle six role. Maybe he can play up your lineup from time to time, but if you can't upgrade from that in your top six, your top six isn't very good. So, you know, I, like I did this exercise of what next year's lines could look like. Just, you know, whatever, just for fun. And I put this on Twitter like uh, probably about a week and a half ago. And I said, okay, um, Kuzmenko, Pedersen, and Mikheyev is your top line. Then Hoaglander, Miller, and the returnee of Besser or Garland on your second line. Now, Hoaglander's been in the minors all season, but it's not flawed thinking to think if he makes this team and they wanted to ripen him a little bit there, but I think he's going to have every opportunity to make it, whereas this year I think it was predetermined he was going to be in the minors. So I think he gets every chance. So he probably goes into that role, right? I mean, like Maybe it's Beauvillier, maybe it's Hoaglander, but You've got questions there, and we're, we're at the top six. Pod Colson, if he makes the big club next year, is not going to get that role. Beauvillier may, he may not. Like I said, uh, you know, it, it, in my perfect world, I've said this before, that Di Giuseppe Amon and Joshua could be a really good fourth line, even on a good team. But if you all of a sudden got to elevate those guys into your top six for whatever reason and, and give Amon lots of time as your third-line center, you're probably not nearly as good as, as you want to be, right? So I think there's still – we don't know what's going to happen with Pearson. Right. I mean, I'm kind of in my mind operating under the notion he won't start the season with this team. But that's not. Are you are you operating with the notion? Because this is a crucial distinction from Pearson uh, for for Pearson. Are you operating with the distinction that he does not return next season? Not yet. Like, I want to see what happens after the next surgeries. I want to hear what some of these guys have to say at the end of, you know, uh, when we talk to management on Monday. Yep. Um, so, so like, let, let's see where they're at, right? Because they're probably going to downplay a little bit because they, you know, like his injuries still get attached to them, whether they want to accept it or not. Um, so that's hard, right? Like, I, I just don't know what's going to happen with Pearson. But the truth is, Pearson's not a top six winger, right? Like, Pearson should be a bottom six winger legitimately, middle six at best, but he's not a top six guy either. 
So they probably do in reality need another guy in that role and that's going to cost them. So there's probably a little more work to be done than, than we think. And that's just, that's not trying to be negative. Like someone give me the option of who is a lock that should be in your top six. Cause I'm not seeing it. Yeah. Well, this is a problem. If, if the top six is supposed to be the strength of your team, right? Like w- one thing to keep in mind is we sort of rate and, and extrapolate, like, what does this team need? What's next? Right. Is, but think about the start know, of the year, though. Think about the start of the year when we talked about how incredibly dynamic this top nine could be, right? right. And we had no, but we'll get Colson there. We'll get there. Blender's spot, and it changed, right? Like just based yeah. on what we've seen this year, you but, can't but, operate the same way going into next year. But we'll get there again because this team is going to make changes, right? Like how many years now in a row has it been like, man, this top six with Jason Dickinson, right? Like this top six with, like this, we're going to do this every year. Um, yeah, that's fair. They'll add somebody I, that'll make us think. No, yeah. but 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 and the, and they'll have to jettison somebody. And and yet, I think you've stumbled on something meaningful. Uh, you know, which is that the strengths of this team really should be top six forward group: Quinn Hughes, Philip Peronic, two good D, and the goaltender. And yet, you know, I don't know how well rounded that top six is even going to be. Right? Like that's that's yeah, worth okay. noting, right? So anyway, let's um I wanna I wanna quickly before we open up, um we only have one hand raised, but if anyone else would like to ask a question, feel free to raise your hand. You'll enter the queue and then we'll start taking questions from the peanut gallery. And of course, we thank all the VIPs for joining us on this the final game night of the Vancouver Canucks season. But I wanna ask you this question. And then I have one for you. Okay, well, you go first. Who should be Cheech's replacement on the local broadcast? Oh, well, I wonder if you go committee for a year at least. I wonder no. if you go I wonder if you go committee cuz I don't like for me the dream answer is Ray Ferraro. Right? And, yeah, that's, and not, that's not happening. And without question, the dream answer is Ray Ferraro, but given his other commitments, I don't think you get him for 82 or, no, there's or 68. A he, there's, a, there's a reason he stepped down at, at TSN, and that was to get his life back. So, right. I, but I mean, but there's, TSN, some, there's some advantage to being a local team. Yeah, local TSN team involves flying to Ottawa and Toronto, right? Like, this is this would be different. I mean, if you could get, even if you could get him for 20 home games, um, you know, like if you okay, could, so let's take Ray out of it because we both agree that's the dream, and I don't want to agree with you. Okay, uh, well, Ray, raise the dream, but I'm I'm going with a committee approach in which you begin. So don't take Ray out of it for me. Let me let me say I want a transitional season in which Ray takes a light workload, um, and then you have like a four way split. So there's a bunch of different people who cycle through, and you know perhaps one of them's nurse. Perhaps you give a. Uh, you know, Tomlinson a shot if he'd be able to split that with his Seattle so you said, duties. You said nurse? Mm-hmm. Sarah Nurse? Oh, Sarah Nurse. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Sarah Nurse. Yeah. Maybe maybe Tomlinson could take on, you know, uh, uh, some of the responsibilities in addition to his Seattle obligations. Not not like that's a far hike, right? Uh, you make it every day, Farhan. And um, and then and then maybe you try out, you know... One of the former players, um, you know, I thought Shane O'Brien did a pretty good job on broadcast. He's gotten some reps as a podcaster. Um, you know, maybe, maybe it's Yannick Hansen, but but you, tr- you find a local player and give them a shot as well. Um, for me, anyway, that would be what I'd want to see most in terms of a- an approach. I'm not ready. I'm not ready for Shorthouse to have a full-time partner next year. Um. Yeah, no, I am. I, I think you make the decision and you go. And if it doesn't work out, like, you know, they've, they've made changes with other broadcasters before. You're not married to it for the rest of your life. I'd bring in Tomlinson. And I say that knowing that, uh, not knowing, I don't know. I'm assuming because, they, you know, Ray and I have talked a lot um, when he was going through his decision at TSN. And, you know, I know where he's at. And I, I don't know that he wants the 82-game grind, even if half of them are home games. Um, you know, I, I think ESPN kind of offers him pretty good work-life balance. So, my guess is that he stays in that world. Uh, you're right. I mean, would he do 20 home games, you know, and, and they could work that around ESPN? I'm sure that would be um, a consideration, but I, I think he's in a good place. You know, I haven't discussed this opportunity with him, so I can't tell you I know for sure, but I'm, I, in my opinion, 
don't think that's uh, the likeliest scenario, but I think Dave Tomlinson is really, really good. And for me, when Dave Tomlinson first came in, you know what my thought was when he first got a job here? Who's Dave Tomlinson? And, <laughs> like, I'm, I'm sorry, but minute by minute, game by game, step by step, he's really good at this. Because we always expect it to be a big name. And, you know, he's kind of a journeyman NHL player and, you know, spent a lot of time in Europe. And But when you, when you listen to what he has to offer, he is – the the analysis is so good, it's concise, it's enough where if you're not listening every game, you can feel comfortable and, and get it. If you are, you feel like you're being talked to at a level you want to be talked to. So I, I'm a big fan of Dave Tomlinson's work, and um, I, I think Vancouver hockey fans are used to it. I think if you give them 82 games on TV and more money than what you're doing to put them on radio in Seattle, uh, I think um, I think you get them back for that. I, I do, and I, I think he'd... To me, he'd be, uh, with Ray off the table, in my opinion, he's the first-round draft pick. And I, I don't want to see – I'm not into a hodgepodge of guys. So I noted this in the chat about Connor Bedard shouts out Cheech. Yeah, I saw that. That's awesome. So cool. So for me, I don't think anyone's going to be surprised to hear, like, the way that the club handled the stretch run, leapfrogging six teams in the NHL draft lottery down a meaningless stretch while riding all of their stars at a completely unique level relative to the other non-playoff teams in the NHL. When I look back at this season, I think that's going to be the hardest thing to swallow. Like the part that I look at, the part that I look back on and just think, what was that? That was ridiculous. And I don't think it's going to take a long time for that to be pretty close to a consensus opinion, given what I expect from Bedard as soon as next year in the NHL. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here as in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'm curious for you, what was the toughest thing about this Canucks season from your perspective? What was the, what was the low moment? Uh, well, I don't know that there was a low moment. Well, let me take that back. I think, I think some of the media availabilities were pretty disappointing, right? I mean, there was the, when we went through the process with the injury and then the organization made, uh, you know, the medical staff and Rutherford available and all of that, and, and Jim did stick around and took a lot of punches at the end of it all was good, but it was at that moment that it crystallized, we're not going to see a rebuild and we're going to see this continued version of what they're doing. And when you look at it, they were actually set up because at that day, you know, Rutherford, he, he played both sides of it because, you know, he talked about a lot of pain, but he still talked about a number of people, including Bo Horvat in a core. And then he talked about, um, the organization still being able to put themselves in a situation where they could structure the roster accordingly. Like he didn't say tank, but he acknowledged it. I know I asked the question and we know that players and coaches are one way, but he acknowledged that management and the organization could behave differently to put the roster in a certain situation. Drancher, they use 16 defensemen this year. If that's not a recipe for a tank, tell me what is. And well, the problem is, and, is when your main guys are at such a low level, you can sub guys in and improve. And that's what we saw. I, well, we did. But at the same time, we saw 25, 28 minutes a night from Quinn Hughes. Yep. And we saw ridiculous ice times from Miller and Pedersen. And so yep. if you just didn't do that, right? And, you know, I, I don't know what to say about Demko, right? Like you could have shut him down. But I truly believe 
there was value to him doing what he's done at the end of the year, right? Like he can go back into next season and be that legit guy as opposed to the guy pre-injury this year that simply wasn't very good. So, but did they need to ride him the way they rode him? And I, I know that they felt that, oh, well, we need to kind of get him used to playing like a starter and loading all of that. Did you really, right? He's going to get the next five months off anyway or four months off anyway. So I do think there's a point of diminishing returns to that. So could they have used him 20% less than what they did? Could they have used him for five fewer games? I think they should have used him for five fewer games. And I think they should have just played Hughes and Pedersen reasonable minutes. And if you do that, we might not be talking about a team that's 11th. We might be talking about a team that's 6th or 7th. And well, either way, they're, they're not getting Bedard, but their odds to get better players are better. And really, what would it have taken, right? Like, it would have taken, what, five fewer points? Oh, five fewer points is mammoth. You're, you're you know, eighth best draft lottery odds. No, but that's, that's my point, is that for them right now, they're sitting in uh, at 83 points. If they go five fewer points, they're below the Washington Capitals. Yeah, like that, and that's significant, right? Like we're not talking about something that could have gutted them hugely. If they get eight fewer points, they're tied with Philadelphia, right? Yeah. So they probably never would have gotten as low as the bottom six, right? Where Arizona is at seventy, and then it goes down to the Ducks at fifty-eight. But they certainly could have put themselves in a better position, and they probably wouldn't have felt that much worse about themselves, right? Like at eighty-three points, if this team just gets to seventy-nine, for the sake of argument, if you talk about four or five points less. Do they really feel that much worse about themselves? No. no and it wouldn't have taken it wouldn't have taken much to get to that point. Like there is a way to hedge this. There is a way to be half pregnant here. I mean, absolutely there is. And and anything would have been better than this. Um I I don't know. Like I I'm shocked and dismayed by what we saw and I see so little reason to have confidence in this organization's direction, given how they've positioned themselves going into the summer, both in terms of their draft lottery odds, their cap commitments, all the drama that's unfolded throughout this season. The fact that they just announced season ending media availabilities and it's going to be Alvin and, and um, talk it, talk no it, Rutherford, not, no not Rutherford. Rutherford. And, well, it, it should be, but also come on, man. No, it's shouldn't like, he, it sucks, shouldn't he be right? available for Rutherford- that. Yes, he should. End of season, he should. But you know what? He's probably telling the PR staff, that's not what we did in Pittsburgh. You know, and he told us at the trade deadline, like, I'm not going to talk anymore. Right? But that's not reasonable, right? To give to give us one media availability at the end of the year and one at the start of the year is a completely reasonable ask. Uh, and it seems like, um, it seems pretty important, too, based on how his first full season has unfolded as the head of hockey operations. Like, I, I, it makes no sense to me. But it's not just that, Drencher. He he is brought in to be a buffer between ownership and management because the owner never talks. Right. That's why you have a president, not just for media purposes, but you're setting the entire direction for the full organization as opposed to the GM who might just be locked into, you know, what's happening here, maybe what's happening at the draft, but not as much in terms of player development and all these other areas that the president should theoretically be hiring for. So at the end of the day, right, Part of the job of a president in this league is to be a buffer between an owner who generally is quite reluctant to talk, not just ours, but anywhere, and your GM, because the GM also needs to be accountable to somebody. So I'm not sure he quite quite gets that, and maybe he feels burned by some of the things he said before, because obviously Rutherford took the majority of arrows when it came down to the coaching decision and how that all went down. Yeah, but to me, this feels like a massive overreaction to the club's handling and and self-inflicted criticism that the club took on as a result of how the Boudreaux situation played out. Um, Anyway, I I just think that's, I just think it's subpar. Well, let's get to the live room. Let's get to the questions and uh, see what they've got to say here. Sounds good. We've got Jakob up first, if he's able to get up to the stage. Uh, You know how this can be a little buggy. Jakob, we got you. Hey, um, can you guys hear me? I'm using my AirPods this time. <laughs> no, we, we do we have you. you. Thanks, Jakob. Okay, great. Um, uh, thanks for uh, taking my call, and thanks for doing these uh, bandcasts all year. Uh, quite enjoy them, as you probably know. Uh, I've been calling a couple of times here, and uh, you guys are the best. So let me get this started here. So here's what I'm thinking. So 
Oliver Moore and Rhinebacker. Those are the two guys I'm, I'm targeting. If we don't get either of those guys in the draft, I, I believe we have to make a serious decision in trading that first-round draft pick. Um, I know that sounds absolutely insane considering we had multiple first-rounders and a second-rounder, but if you're going to go all in with this stupid retool, you might as well do it properly. And uh, I don't know what you'd do with it. Maybe you can dump cap. Maybe you could get that third line setter plus plus, but you would have to think about that. So that's just my first comment. Um, secondly, um, I think it's important to find a legitimate partner for Quinn Hughes. Uh, I think Hironic is going to be on the second pairing. I think he should run a line there. So I do think it's important to find some sort of uh, second pairing guy or sorry, first pairing guy with Quinn Hughes. I think that's uh, going to be really important this off season. Also, you got to trade one or both of Brock Besser and Carl Connor Garland. Now, if we have to choose one or the other, I would keep Garland. Uh, he draws a lot of penalties, doesn't get a lot of legitimate power play time. So the fact is, you know, if he's not getting that opportunity and he's still putting up decent numbers, maybe maybe we should keep him around and give him more of a little bit of an opportunity there. And uh, just two more comments. Uh, the buying out slash trading of Tyler Myers and Oliver Ekman Larson, again, we're doing a retool, man. No, no matter how much pain it is that we're not rebuilding or doing at least a, a somewhat of a half-ass rebuild, we're doing a retool. You gotta, you gotta do it. You gotta trade them or you gotta buy them out, and you gotta go find other solutions on that defense. And finally, find a third round set or third line center. So, yeah, that's my bucket list going into the <laughs> offseason. <laughs> and uh, also, finally, and just to get you guys, I don't know if you guys remember all that, but uh, Florida is going to upset Boston in the first round. So wow. you, know, wow. you can hear that first. And uh, I'm telling you, uh, it's the craziest thing I'm thinking, but I don't know. Yeah, you're just maybe. saying that. You're saying <laughs> that to try to win favor with Drance. Because you're talking about his Florida Panthers. Upsetting the record-setting Bruins. Come on. You are totally pandering to Drance so that every time we do a live room, he brings you up first. Listen, I'm always up first because I always click that stupid button first. I like to ramble and rant the half the times. And, uh, honestly, uh, <laughs> I don't think you guys mind the entertainment once in a while, too. So, yeah, Florida is upsetting Boston. And, by the way, uh, Brad Marchand versus uh, Kachuk in the first Oh, it's going to be fun. That's going to be hilarious. Anyways, uh Love you guys, man. Take care, and I hope you guys have a safe and great offseason and playoffs. Cheers, guys. Thanks, Jakob. It's good stuff from Jakob. Uh, the Florida Panthers, I think, are going to lose to Boston. I don't think it's going to be that close. I think it's going to be a five- or six-game series. Um, but I don't think it's the best matchup that Boston could have drawn up because I think Florida's one of, like, three teams in the league that is able to come into that series with a better player than anyone Boston has in Matthew Kachuk. Uh, we've really reached a point where Matthew Kachuk is one of the three or four best players on the planet. And have we really? Wow. Yeah, we have. We have. He is. He was outrageous this season. Like I was looking at my NHL awards ballot today and I was thinking about you know Jack Hughes and, and Matthew Kachuk and, and where where my MVP debate goes after uh you know the obvious number one and like don't be surprised if kachuk gets a lot of two votes I, I i don't think it's just me i've been asking people around the league i've been gauging opinion like kachuk's a real candidate to be the best other than mcdavid in that Hart trophy race amazing yeah i mean it, look but we know how badly that entire group in calgary led by kachuk underperformed in the playoffs last year so they're going to need him to find that switch for these big games. And when a team has the opportunity to match up against you in a series, how he handles it, right? Because we could see the frustration on Kachuk's face last year. Yep. That was pretty evident. And he, he's got, he's got some splaining to do. Like he's, he's got to bring a level that when you look at Matthew Kachuk's game, it is tailor made for the playoffs on the surface, but we didn't see it last year. So he's going to have to, to bring that this year without question. So, um, what was his other? What was his other point about the buyouts? Now I'm not again. I I've been told that that's not the plan at this point for Oliver Ekman Larson to be bought out. Maybe there's a, you know a change of heart down the road here. But even in a retool versus a rebuild, it still doesn't make sense to take four years worth of paint on this guy. Like I think the organization wants to get at least one or two years 
of third pair value out of him, like just get him to be a replacement level player, even though he's getting paid a ridiculous amount of money and wait so that there's less pain at the back end of the contract. I don't think he's going to last four years of the deal, but could he last one? Could he last two? I think that's a very real probability. Let's invite Andrew Do- Andrew Yu up to the stage. And we'll wait a minute and hope it works. Fingers crossed. Andrew Yu, do you have us? Fingers crossed. Andrew Yu, do you have us? Hello. Andrew, can you just hit the mute button? button? Can you yeah, guys hear me? We can hear you, Andrew. Okay. So I just want to ask about uh, this whole draft pick strategy that they're using right now. Uh, so the strategy? Club is strategy? Well, their strategy of like kind of replacing um, of signing the, all these like college free agents, right, and guys from like Sweden and Europe. And I was just, I just wanted to ask if you guys think it has a chance of kind of replacing all kind of the the young players they've kind of missed out on the past few years with like, um, yeah, all the draft picks that they've traded away. Yeah, that's kind of my question for you guys. Thanks, Andrew. Sorry, I, I booted you from the stage because you're not in headphones. So anytime we talk, it gets echoey um, just to manage the audio experience for our other listeners. But that's a great question. I do have opinions on this. I think it can work to some extent in terms of filling out things like your third pair and your fourth line. And maybe if you get really lucky, your third line. I think college players, especially of the undrafted variety, in addition to European free agents, Like what we saw from Andre Kuzmenko this year can't be the expectation. That is a once in a blue moon type ad out of Russia, a a late bloomer with a very unique skill set who came over and found immediate chemistry with Elias Pettersson and and went off as an 80 point player in his first year, producing at a level that he's never produced elsewhere. That Kuzmenko is, you know, a, a, a sort of proof of concept that shouldn't be overfitted. Right, it, it needs to be looked at as something that can, but rarely will occur. Um, you know, previously to this, like I, you know, Panarin was obviously the big hit, but for the most part, you're looking at like Dadanov, Zaitsev, Mikheyev type players, right? More, more sort of middle of the lineup, trending toward the bottom end. Um, and that's like five examples from the last ten years. We we just don't see guys come in and have this type of success the way Kuzmenko has. So. I, I think it's important to look at that example and say, well, they've done it already and it's been really good, but to imagine that you can repeat that is kind of fool's gold. In my opinion, I, I think you can still, however, find useful players uh, more in that Neil Zaman role, mold uh, out of sort of these non-traditional or, or underscouted or, or however you want to define it talent pools. Um, college free agents in particular are guys who are very much like, like when you add a McWard or a Hiroshi or, you know, uh, not a McDonough cause he was their own property, but a Max Sasson, what you're effectively doing is like adding a player who's equivalent in value to one you might select in the fifth round with the exception of the fact that they're older. And so they're far closer to contributing at the NHL level, but they also have less ceiling, right? You're more likely to get a guy who can play for you next year on the fourth line. But what you're less likely to get is a guy like a Mangiapani who you take in the fifth round and who becomes, you know, this top of the lineup two way guy who scores 40 goals or at least did last year. So that's sort of where, you know, I I look at it as a supplement and not a replacement to drafting because you, yeah, I think you can build a lot of depth in your organization. I mean, I I think Abbotsford is going to be a lot better for this. Right. Yes. Agreed. But you need, I still think you need to be making some swings at the draft table Mm -hmm. because if you can get a 17 year old player, even if it's in a later round and they go to Harvard or Nodak or Ohio state, whatever, you know, four years from now, like that's how you get a Gaudreau. That's how you get, you know, like those players, the players you draft that hit, those are the guys that like you want to retool to work. You know, go look around the NHL at the teams that have successfully retooled and they all have this in common. Like they all got real talent at the draft and often not at the top of it because they don't pick at the top. So you look at Boston and you look at McAvoy and Pasternak and those guys are building blocks for them. You look at Dallas and you see Jason Robertson. 
You see Wyatt Johnston, who's played for them this year. Next year, they're going to add, uh, what's the kid in Kamloops' name again? Logan Stankoven, right? You look at St. Louis and, and sort of them winning a cup at kind of what was the tail end of the Ryan O'Reilly Pietrangelo window, uh, the Schwartz window, the Perron window. And it's Robert Thomas in the twenties and it's uh, Jordan Cairo in the second round. Like you still need to be hitting on those guys, especially not if you're rebuilding, especially if you want to defy gravity by getting significantly better fast without dropping to the bottom of the NHL standing. So I don't think they can effectively replace the lost draft capital, uh, but I think they can help supplement their depth. If they're right about this core being good enough to win with better depth, if they're right about that, it's possible that they can use these avenues, in my view anyway, to complement them effectively with a, a relatively reliable source of cheap labor. But I think it's a big ask. And, you know, I, I think for guys like Hiroshi, McDonough, like they better be pushing to make this roster next year, given the age that they're at, right? If, if they're not at that level at training camp next season, um, you know, it's pr- they'll, they'll fall off the NHL radar pretty quickly. So um, not a lot of runway, not a lot of ceiling, but a high floor. It's a worthwhile uh, exercise for this organization to go through. Who are the forwards in the organization that aren't with the big club consistently outside of Nils Hoaglander that you think have the best shot to make the NHL roster next year? Forwards only. Well, look, with a really big summer, Atu Ratu, right? Like, it's got to mm-hmm. be Ratu, I think. Um, Carlson? But, man, I'm not sure about the speed. You know, like, I- I'm lower on Carlson than a lot of Canucks observers, but I'm not much lower on him than the industry itself. I just, like, I like the skill. I like the way that he moves in traffic. I think he's got some NHL skills but I just don't know if the speed's going to play, particularly if he's asked to play on like a third line, right? Like I, I just think the speed's going to be problematic for him. With so, Rachu, do you, do you get the sense that they're going to give him every opportunity to justify the trade? Like if they can't find the third line center that they want, do you see a scenario where Atu Rachu is your opening night third line center or third line winger if they get the center that they want? I don't just I think to he, justify the trade. No, I think he has to blow the doors off and I think they'll be bringing in a body. They have to, they absolutely have to. So I, I think they will be bringing in a body. I think he'll get a chance to blow the doors off, but I don't, I don't think they're going to rush him if he doesn't. Now we're going to do another show on Monday after everyone speaks. So whether that's harm and I doing our regular show or bringing you in for a live room, one or the other, but I just want to let everyone know what the playoff matchups are. We do have two more calls, so we will get to them before we wrap up here today. Um, and, uh, uh, Vegas did beat, uh, Seattle. So that means Seattle finishes first, sorry, Vegas finishes first in the Pacific. Uh, we still don't know where Seattle is going to play because we still have two more games tomorrow. Uh, we have got, uh, Colorado, uh, Nashville and, um, Columbus and Buffalo tomorrow to round out the NHL schedule. So right now, uh, you have got, uh, in the Eastern conference, all those matchups are set. Florida at Boston, as Jakob was just talking about, Tampa Bay at Toronto, uh, Go Bolts, uh, Islanders, Bo Horvat, and the New York Islanders uh, in Carolina to open up that series, and Rangers and Devils, so you can get to see you'll get to see the Hughes boys in that one. As far as the West, it's going to be either Minnesota or Seattle against Dallas, and then either Minnesota or Seattle against Colorado, so that'll play itself out tomorrow. Winnipeg's in Vegas, and Los Angeles will be in Edmonton. So, yeah, Vegas wins the Pacific. Uh, so if they do wind up getting to the second round, Vegas would wind up hosting Edmonton right now. Edmonton will open up uh, their series against L.A. at home. Now, Oilers, 50 wins, rolled down the stretch. Kings the, Oilers, beat, can't they? The, Oilers are, um, the Oilers are a problem. You don't think the Kings can take them? I think the Kings can take them, but I think the Oilers also have the upside to actually win a cup this year. Maybe. Uh, I think their power think, play is going to go dormant against the way this team, this Kings team plays. Yeah, may, nah, I don't know, man. I'm not going to be picking them. To, I'm not going to be picking the Kings to beat them. I just don't think the Kings have enough firepower to exploit Edmonton's goaltending. Like Colorado, I know they lost Landeskog, but they're still a big problem. Colorado and Edmonton, I think, go into the West as the favorites. And, and they should. 
Uh, no, fair enough. Fair enough. I hey, mean, to hey, me, the got- Oilers are going to have to show they can do it until they can. They, I'm, I'm, I'm still going to look with a John die. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles. We win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Uh, let's get to our <laughs> final two calls. Yeah, perfect. I, I, I got the sense that you were winding this down and I was like, man, we got two more questions. Uh, no, Grant, we got to get our questions in. Absolutely. Grant H. coming to the stage. Grant, do we have you? Try to keep this quick to keep you guys out of here. It's one of the things that keeps seem to come up this uh, year is the Canucks seem to be kind of playing sideshow Bob here, stepping on every rake they can find when it comes to PR and media relations. Uh, since you guys have, well, Grant, you've worked in the field and far, and you've seen a lot there. Um, it's a pretty damning indictment of the PR and uh, media relations team, isn't it? That uh, you know, management figures keep being sent out here in some cases kind of set up to fail. I'm just curious to get your take on that. Thanks Grant. Appreciate the question. I mean, I'm going to let you in on a dirty little secret, which is that sometimes there's nothing you can do as a comms exec, right? Sometimes you fight back, you try and explain how it should be done. You advocate for the high road. You do what you can to manage a situation but organizational decision makers say this is how it must be done and you report to them and that's what's done. And so, you know, like, I don't think, for example, and I don't know this, but I would imagine that in shaping what closing day media availabilities looked like, I would imagine that at least someone on that PR staff and most likely the director would suggest, hey, we should have Rutherford, Alvin, and talk it out there for the end of year recap. And, you know, if they say, no, that's not how we're going to be doing business. Uh, and you can't convince them otherwise. That's what it is. That's how it goes. Like there's only so much you can do in PR as a PR or comms executive. You can't wave a magic wand and make problems go away. You just have to try and convince the organization that everything you do is PR. Right. And that if we do the right thing consistently, um, in terms of how we treat people, in terms of, you know, how we relate to the media, in terms of how we accommodate things, um, it'll reflect in our coverage. And it's hard to sell that holistic view internally sometimes. Um, you know, I, I'm not, I'm not looking askance at Canucks PR. I mean, I, I have disagreements with Canucks PR mostly over, um, you know, credential policy and stuff, but I'm not looking askance at the job. Uh, that CMAC and company have done this year. I, I don't think a lot of what has transpired or, or what, you know, our, our caller just described as, as PR issues necessarily fall on the shoulders of a, of a comms director. That's my view of it anyway. Yeah. I mean, it, it, and I agree with you in this case, I, I can't imagine that CMAC didn't go to Jim and said, I really think you should talk and Jim's going to do what Jim's going to do. Right. And we, you know, I, again, I, I'm not surprised that after deadline, he didn't talk much at all, but it, it's going to be, you know, we talked about the relationship between the organization and the media as, as being at an all-time low. I don't know that it's going to get better any minute here. In the case of Patrick Alvin, I'm not telling you he's not a nice man or a capable man or anything like that, but you don't have a lot to say. Like, he just he's not forthcoming on any level, right? He's just not wound that way personality-wise. Uh, I, I don't know that language has anything to do with it. But, um, yeah, so that's going to be a fruitless availability in my mind. And, uh, you know, and Jim's decided he's not going to do it. And, you know, at some point, 
Uh, some of us are going to say some things. I probably will and, and reach out and express a level of disagreement, but it isn't going to matter. I'll feel better for having done it, but it isn't going to matter because ultimately if he doesn't want to do it, you can't, uh, you can't make him do it. All right, let's get to our last question. Arthur A, coming to the stage. Yeah, uh, well, since I'm like the last one, <laughs> well, each of your guys, uh, what's the biggest uh, bold prediction you guys have for the upcoming offseason? Thanks, Arthur. Farhan, I'm punting that to you. You go first. Sorry, question again? I was just was responding to a listener. Bold prediction from you for the Canucks offseason. Oh, wow. Um, bold prediction from me for the Canucks offseason. Mm-hmm. Very little change. Another year where they can't move money. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's that's not bold. No, you're right. It's not. Pretty standard. Yeah. Um, boy, I'm, like, I'm having a difficult time with it. I mean, we all know what the moves should be. Uh, you know, I've, I've kind of given you my my opinion on on the buyout route. I do think there'll be a buyout somewhere. I'm just not convinced it's going to be OEL. Um, so, like, I don't know who the other logical candidates are because we certainly have talked about Garland and Besser, and people are going to talk about Myers and whether or not you know how the timing is going to work out there, given when it's five million is due. But I don't think any of those are big moves. I, I don't think they're going to pull the trigger on a JT Miller trade, which many people still think could happen between now and July first. I, I just I'm not seeing it. Um, Boy, I'm having a diff- and I'm having a difficult time trying to figure out what their bold move is going to be. I know what they'd like to do. Uh, just the last two years haven't shown me they can execute on those areas. Well, and I don't I think we're losing you, buddy. But it's on them. Like it's partly the flat cap. Like the issue is not that they can't figure out how to move these guys. The issue is that they've committed so much money already going into the off season that they're not. They haven't given themselves routes. They haven't given themselves outs or avenues that they can use to improve the team. And and I've tried to explain this to people, but you know, the way to think of it is not that the Canucks are going to be sellers in terms of trying to move, say, expensive scoring wingers. <laughs> it's that the Canucks are going to be bidders trying to find teams willing to use their available cap space on those players. Right. Like you really have to reorient what you're how you're looking at it. It's that world where like Bjorkstrand goes for a third and a fourth. It's that world where Max Pacioretty has to have an asset attached to the last year of his deal to move. And, you know, I just think the Canucks are going to really find it tough again in another flat cap offseason to accomplish the business that they want. Anyway, um, here's my bold prediction. I think we're going to see a move or a signing, but something that makes me wretch for a physical defenseman. I think we are getting a physical, we are getting a new physical defenseman to play alongside Quinn Hughes, either to play alongside Quinn Hughes or Philip Ronick. The Canucks have two like lock players in their top four and they clearly love Ethan bear, right? Like, uh, so, but what, what do you have if you, sort of project a top four to be Heronic, Bear, um, Hughes, Oliver ekman Larson. You uh, can't have not, OEL in your top four next year. Well, I agree with you. But, I mean, if you're not buying him out, you also don't really want a $7.26 million third pair guy. So, for now, out of respect, I'm going to keep him in the top four. But I think people would look at that top four on paper and say, um, is there enough size there? Is there enough grit? And, and by people, by the way, you know who I really think thinks that based on what I've watched of his analysis on TNT prior to him taking over as Canucks head coach, Rick Tockett. Yep. For so sure. I, I think one thing this team is going to do at some point this offseason, and, and my hope is it's not an inefficient commitment to an aging guy. My hope is that it's not, you know, uh, them misidentifying a, a player who like a guy who's just big rather than big and good. But uh, but I think we're seeing a physical defenseman get brought in, and I think it's a, a really dangerous market for this team to be shopping in. They're going to have to be really careful that they get it right, particularly given that you know the Rutherford era in Pittsburgh um, was characterized by them missing on a lot of these types of players, uh, including obviously the good Branson Pearson trade, uh, the Jack Johnson contract, um, you know, 
we, we've seen this particular front office, uh, at least their personnel, not in their previous stop, uh, struggle to address this particular need. I think they view it as a critical need. A physical defenseman gets added, and, and I don't like it. That's that's my bold prediction for the offseason. There you go. You heard it here first. They're going to add before they sell, just like at the deadline. People people saying, by the way, it's Gavrikov, and that would be a best-case scenario, but they have to move a fair bit of money to make that happen, particularly if they don't have certainty that Pearson is out for the entirety of next season. Right? Like, the, that's going to be a tough one to add because he's a $5.5 million player, I think. Do you hear anything back on Poolman or Dermott? Like, I know they were trying to skate. You saw them on the ice the day of the trade deadline. Like, was there any more there? I'm not sure. We'll find out. But, I, I mean, head injuries are so scary and so unpredictable. Um, we'll, we'll find out more when Alvin and Tockett meet the press on Monday. Minus so, Jim Rutherford. <laughs> so, I, yeah. So, I think Let's we'll wrap do, it up. I think we'll do a full availability. Um you know, come, come or sorry, a full live cast after um, post, you know, season availabilities conclude on Monday afternoon. So stay tuned. I'd imagine I'll join Harmon and, and Farhan at that point, um, and we'll do another one of these. Thank you, everyone, for participating in these live rooms throughout the year. Farhan and I enjoy doing them. Uh, we love having the chance to interact with all of you. So thanks for joining us, and all the best. All right. Thanks for listening. We'll talk again soon. See you Monday.